0: Hello everyone and welcome to Amanpour, here's what's coming up. President Zelensky at the front lines amid plans to reboot Ukraine's military strategy. A report on the little known successes. And I speak to Finland's presidential frontrunner Alexander Stubb maintaining a delicate balance as NATO's newest member. Then, the latest from Gaza as Israeli forces push Palestinians ever closer to the Rafah border. This is not about
1: a camping trip. This is actually about pushing humanity into the solar system.
0: NASA Deputy Administrator Pam Melroy on the growing frontiers in space. Also ahead... Black people, we are often, um, our concerns are dismissed, um, ignored, or minimized, and we have seen that lead to very, very um, horrific consequences. Dr. Uche Blackstock talks to Michelle Martin about her fight against racism in medicine. Welcome to the programme everyone. I'm Christiana Manpour in London. The U.S. Senate has finally unveiled a bill tying together border security and support for Ukraine and Israel. The package would transform immigration law and give some $60 billion worth of military aid to Ukraine, a much needed boost for the beleaguered nation that's mired in a two year effort to fend off Russia. But the bill has a tough road ahead still, especially in the House where it's already been declared, quote, dead on arrival under pressure from former President Donald Trump. Meantime, uncertainty within Ukraine, too. As President Zelensky tells Italian media, a reset is needed to shake up the country's war effort. But despite being bogged down on the eastern front, there is progress in the south. Kyiv has successfully used drones and other technology to outmaneuver Russia in the Black Sea, as Fred Plytkin reports from the main port city of Odessa. It was one of the most brazen and most
2: successful operations by Ukraine's military intelligence service. Sea drones attacking, and the Ukrainians say, sinking a Russian warship inside occupied Crimea. And he was one of those involved. His call sign is 13 from the elite sea drone unit named Group 13. So secretive, we had to hide his face and change his voice. We used 10 drones in the operation, he says. Six of them hit the Corvette Ivanovets. CNN cannot independently verify that the Ivanovets was sunk, but video provided by the intelligence agency seems to show the mini sea drones evading machine gun fire from the warship and then massive explosions. Their weapons are not designed to deal with such small sea drones, 13 says. In most cases, they use anti ship guns. Ukraine barely has a functioning navy, but the Magura drones pack a massive punch, around 500 pounds of explosives. These sea drones might not look like much and they might not go very fast, but the Ukrainians say they've been extremely effective at attacking Russia's Black Sea fleet and even sinking warships. Uh, The The main thing is to feel the drone, 13 says. Not everyone can hold a firm grip. If you squeeze a little, you can lose control of the drone. I would say it's like working with jewelry. Asymmetrical warfare, they call it, and the Ukrainians, outmanned and outgunned, say they need to do a lot more of it. After visiting the Southern Front this weekend, Ukraine's president Volodymyr Zelensky telling Italian media he not only plans to fire his top general, Valery Zaluzhny, there could be a larger government shakeup. A front-runner to become the new commander-in-chief, the defense intel boss known for brazen attacks against Russian military and infrastructure targets. The Russians are waking up at night to explosions, he says. Explosions in the air, explosions directly at the facilities. They see the real picture of war. They see burning oil depots, destroyed buildings and factories and so on. This is all beneficial. And the Ukrainians vow to continue hunting Russian military vessels in this battle of David versus Goliath on the high seas.
0: Fred Pleitkin reporting there from southern Ukraine. Well, one country watching all this with laser focus is Finland. The Nordic nation recently became the 31st member of NATO and shares an 800-mile border with Russia. They're currently in the midst of a presidential election, but both candidates for the top job agree on supporting Ukraine. Joining me now is Alexander Stubb, who squeaked out a win in the first round and faces the voters again on Sunday. Alexander Stubb, welcome back to our program. I'm going to talk about the election in a second, but I want to know first, after our report from Fred Pleitkin, what you make of the successes. Because, really, as you know, there's just a lot of doom and gloom coming from the Ukrainian battlefield.
3: Yeah, I, I think the war is very much in a stalemate, and in a sense, it's much easier to uh, defend than to attack. And there's been a lot of back and forth in the past two years approaching the anniversary. Uh, I do agree with the Secretary General of NATO that the path towards peace does go through uh, the battlefield. Uh, I think right now what Ukraine needs is finance. We got that from both the US hopefully and from the European Union. It needs weapons and finally it needs uh, uh ammunition i i I think we should use the term that mario Draghi, the head of ecb used in the old days during the euro crisis whatever it takes we need to help ukraine
0: and just to to quote their potentially outgoing uh, army chief, Valery Zaluzhnyi, who wrote an essay for CNN saying, we must contend with the reduction in military support from key allies grappling with their own political tensions. So, I don't know, is Finland grappling with political tensions? You are in a runoff uh, for the next round of voting to be president, and I believe in Finland, the president is, you know, makes a lot of the foreign policy decisions, if not all of them. What would be the difference depending on who wins for Ukraine?
3: I think no difference, both Pekka Harvester and myself are steadfast supporters of Ukraine and indeed the president of Finland is tasked with foreign policy and he or she is also the commander in chief. We've done our share and we'll continue to do that. Uh, I know the sums feel a little bit small but 1.6 billion is uh, not a small figure for us. Uh, On top of that, we've given about 0.6 billion on aid. So we will continue to help Ukraine. And of course you can ask why. Well, the reason is that we have in our historical memory um, many skirmishes with Russia. They attacked us in the winter war and the war of continuation. So we have a very similar experience to the Ukrainians. We can identify uh, with the tragedy that's taking place right now. That's why most Finns stand behind Ukraine.
1: There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably gonna change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We turn now to breaking news, as Buckingham Palace says that King Charles III has been diagnosed with a form of cancer. The palace saying during the king's recent hospital procedure for benign prostate enlargement, a separate issue of concern was noted. Subsequent diagnostic tests have identified a form of cancer. His Majesty has today commenced a schedule of regular treatments, during which time he's been advised by doctors to postpone public facing duties. Throughout this period, His Majesty will continue to undertake state business and official paperwork as usual. The king is grateful to his medical team for their swift intervention, which was made possible thanks to his recent hospital procedure. He remains wholly positive about his treatment and looks forward to returning to full public duty as soon as possible. That, as I said, is the full statement from Buckingham Palace. CNN will continue to follow this story and will keep you up to date.
5: A regency would be... Uh, when the monarch was incapacitated and would have to hand over official duties of state to Prince William. That isn't the case. This is just everything outside of that. So uh, uh, Prince William very much becomes the figurehead, the public figurehead now of the monarchy, whilst the king is is out of action publicly, but carrying out his work behind the scenes. Also, Queen Camilla would be expected to step up as well uh, to show continuity, because monarchy is about continuity um of the head of state of the monarchy so people need to represent that in in the absence of the king's presence so it will be very alarming to people in the united kingdom but they've sent out very carefully written notes i'm going to get more information as well to reassure the public uh that the monarchy is still intact and the constitution continues but a huge amount of concern will be raised about what it means particularly when we have such a slimmed down monarchy anyway and now we also have two senior now three three of the four senior royals uh well two of the senior royals out of public sight and two having to pick up all of the uh, public facing duties
6: we have been uh watching some video of uh the king leaving the hospital again that was on january 29th um, he only became king last year of course max and, and he has been rather active so how much will the british public notice uh as he scales back h- his duties uh, h- how much has he actually been undertaking these various royal engagements
5: well he's extremely busy he takes his work extremely seriously and he um is absolutely dedicated to his work i can say that as an impartial journalist because i follow him and when you compare him to other royals he's doing so much behind the scenes but you also see him very much in public so Uh, This, as you point out, is his early monarchy, more important than ever that he's seen out in public, establishing himself as head of state and replacing um, Queen Elizabeth, who was iconic in her role and a very big shoes to step into. So this is uh, significant of his monarchy. He won't be able to represent the monarchy in the way it hoped. And as I say, a huge amount of responsibility now for Prince William to step up and really show that. The monarchy is still strong. We did see King Charles at the weekend, and he looked really healthy. It was just a a still photograph of him, and that was sanctioned, I think, by the palace. So I think at the weekend, they felt very confident, and he looked very confident when he left the hospital. So I think this would be a real shock to the family and to the palace, and there will be a lot of work behind the scenes to try to make sure the mechanics of the system continue um, and that the king is still able to... Carry out that really crucial official paperwork because, without the king being able to sign documents, uh, the constitution literally, literally grinds to a halt. Uh, you can't, you know, bring in new laws. You can't appoint prime ministers. You can't uh, get involved when there are serious matters of the state. So, it is crucial, and um, they will, frankly, have to be considering, you know, what does happen if the king gets. More ill and isn't able to carry out even those central duties. So that would be where the regency would come into effect. And as you know, an insurance policy, they will be considering that at this point, but that's a very well rehearsed, regularly rehearsed practice anyway. So I think that's uh, just a matter of ticking a few boxes and expecting Prince William to very much step up.
6: And we are looking at live pictures outside Buckingham Palace. It is just past uh, 6 p.m. in London right now with the news from that palace um that the uh king of england of the king of of the united kingdom uh king charles iii uh has been diagnosed with some kind of cancer Uh, they are not saying Uh, what kind. He has just left the hospital several days ago after being treated for what they're calling a benign prostate enlargement, during which time uh, they noticed a separate issue of concern. Uh, Max Foster, I'm going to ask you to stand by. We'll get back to you when there's more news. Uh, In the meantime, I'm going to toss it over to Boris.
7: We're joined now to discuss with CNN royal historian Kate Williams. Uh, Kate, I quickly want to get just your reaction to this news, a, a cancer diagnosis for King Charles.
8: Well, obviously, it is very worrying. It, cancer m- many of m- m- more than two of us do suffer from cancer in in the world, but it is a worrying and scary diagnosis to receive, and I'm sure a lot of people are wishing the king thinking of the king's health at the moment. but this is really we're seeing a very different way of dealing with health to what we saw under the queen. We were told that the queen were having was having a few tests going into hospital. In the case of Charles, we've been told he was going in for an enlarged prostrate, minor surgery, and now we've been told, you know, that he did, why he did stay in one extra night and that he is going to be going for cancer treatment, but that he will be carrying on with his duties. I think we see a very different monarchy here. The Queen came to the throne when she was just a young woman, when she was 25. He comes to the throne when he's nearly 75, and he's just saying here, I think, very clearly, Yes, I'm having health issues. Yes, I'm having very common health issues, but there's no need to panic. There's no need to worry. I'm going to continue with my duties online and in a constitutional way. So really we have a lot of transparency about the King's health here, And I think the reason for that is to stop people from panicking that perhaps he's iller th- than we realize.
7: Uh, to that point, Kate, uh, I believe it was King George that passed away after complications from a surgery to relieve cancer, and the British public wasn't aware that he was having that issue,
8: right? Yes, uh, King George the the Queen's father, he had lung cancer. He was a lifelong smoker and it did affect him. He died very young in his 50s. And no one knew. And in fact, even the Queen herself was not aware of how ill the King was. That's why she went on a tour to Africa. That's why she was in Kenya when she became Queen. No one knew. He passed away without anyone realizing it. He had the surgery actually at Buckingham Palace. They set up a. a, a operating theatre in Buckingham Palace, it was so secret. And and we see a completely different way of dealing with health, with with the royals. We were told that Kate was going into hospital, she would be there for some time, and that the king would be going to the same hospital. We were told when he was staying one more night. I think he said very clearly that he wanted other men to raise awareness of Prostate cancer. He wants to wear, not that he has that. He wants to wear, raise awareness of enlarged prostates and that condition. And now I think that although he's not saying now, we probably will be told at some point what kind of cancer the king is suffering from. And I think for the same reason, he'll want other people to get checked, people to talk about it to raise awareness because it's important.
7: That effort to raise awareness was successful. There were details from the NHS that. Uh, They received 11 times more visits uh, after Buckingham Palace announced that uh, he was uh, receiving treatment for an enlarged prostate. Uh, Let's get some medical perspective now. With us is CNN medical analyst Dr. Jonathan Reiner. Dr. Reiner, so this news coming after the king went through this uh, procedure to examine his enlarged prostate, this apparently raised a separate issue of concern, a form of cancer. The uh, palace says that he remains wholly positive
9: about his
7: treatment. What do you make of that?
9: Well, Boris, it seems like in the course of his, you know, treatment for his procedure, surgical procedure for his prostate cancer, they discovered another problem. And when you're admitted to the hospital, you often get tests like a chest x-ray. So a chest x-ray might have found, you know, a lesion in his lungs. You have, uh, you know, basic blood, you know, preoperative bloods obtained. So that might show that he's anemic. And that might have, you know, led to you know, a further workup. But it sounds like in the the course of sort of the routine uh, evaluation prior to his prostate uh, surgery, they discovered that something else was amiss. Uh,
7: So just to be clear, uh, the prostate enlargement was found to have been benign, so it it does not appear that he has uh, prostate cancer. Uh, Walk us through the spectrum, doctor, of potential treatments for someone, because obviously there are many different forms of cancer that affect People in a variety of different ways. Uh, what could we be seeing uh, the king undergo here?
9: Well, obviously there are you know a thousand possibilities based on the specific type of cancer. But again, I would, if I had to you know surmise, I would I would guess that this is a, this would be something that would have been found on routine uh, diagnostic screening that is done when a patient comes in for a, a surgical procedure. And that you know raises the question of whether they found something on a chest X-ray, hmm. or whether he was uh, unusually anemic, or his white blood cell count was, was elevated, suggesting you know a, a problem you know that could be linked to something like leukemia. The you know the the issue I have with these kinds of incremental announcements from you know, high-profile people, you know, or the, you know the the palace is that. I can surmise, and the public can, can guess, much worse things often than are, uh, than are really true. And you know, the best policy for uh, a leader of a country or royalty is just to tell the public straight out what's going on, so that people don't have to guess, people don't have to think about the worst. And you know, the public in, in Great Britain really does have a, uh, uh, a right to know what's going on with their monarch.
7: Dr. Jonathan Reiner, please stand by. Uh, We're of course going to be tracking the very latest news out of the UK. Buckingham Palace announcing that King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, We're gonna get the very latest on this story and continue bringing you the latest news from the UK when we come back. Buckingham Palace announcing that King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer. This comes after he had a recent hospital procedure for a benign prostate enlargement. That's when a separate issue of concern was noted. We've learned from a a source close to Buckingham Palace that it's actually not prostate cancer what he's dealing with, but we learned that the uh, king is going to continue. Uh, official state business and official paperwork, as usual, even as his doctors have told him to scale back his public-facing duties. Still a a lot of questions to be answered, even as Buckingham Palace says that they announced this for the sake of transparency, a lot of speculation about what challenges he may be facing moving forward.
6: Yeah, they actually said that they put out this statement and, and chose to share this diagnosis to prevent speculation. That That's their phrasing. Um, they're not necessarily, however, sharing his diagnosis. They're just saying that it is a form of cancer. Uh, I wanna bring back in our, our panel of uh, experts and, and Jonathan Reiner to you. Uh, i think it's fair to say that you would like more transparency here And a moment ago you were uh we were talking about the 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 fact that this can be a teachable moment and and really help the public and that's something that the the royal family has recognized and and king charles said in alerting the public that he was going into the hospital Um, but what do you make of this statement where they talk about a form of cancer they say that he's being diagnosed with a form of cancer but do not give the, the kind of cancer. Um, does, not, does this not fuel more speculation?
9: Yeah, that's, I think that's uh, quite ominous, actually. Uh, during his original hospitalization for the uh, benign uh, prostate uh, hypertrophy, the palace went out of the way to remind the public that he did not have cancer, that it was important for them to know that he did not have uh, cancer. Now that there is a, a different uh, diagnosis, the palace seems to be very reticent to give uh, any uh, uh, detail at all, and it just serves to to fuel speculation and, and concern among uh, the public. I think when public when public figures uh, face serious illnesses like you know heart disease and uh, and cancer. You know, de-stigmatizing, you, know, you know, those diagnoses, you know, letting the, the sort of the air out of that and, and just being frank with the public uh, goes really a, a long way. Uh, the, the king uh, wanted to use his the last procedure to get men to be more forthright about being checked. And again, I think when you talk about your own diagnosis and your own struggle, you humanize yourself and also you motivate people to be more uh, proactive about their own health. So I hope the the palace uses, uses this as an opportunity to be more transparent and to help, you know, the uh, British public understand better where their monarch is right now.
7: We also have uh, Max Foster with us. And, and Max, we're getting a, an important update regarding the cancer diagnosis. We've learned that the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry, has reached out to his father, King Charles, about the cancer diagnosis. The two of them did speak. And apparently Prince Harry is going to be traveling to the UK to see the king in the coming days.
5: Yeah, i just been in contact with them, and they gave me that uh, information. Um, in terms of the alarm, uh, uh, this is, you know, in, in a way it does add to it that Harry feels he needs to come over. But of course, he, he would want to come over if your father's ill anyway. Um, I think that, you know, this is all a, a case of trying to manage... Um, public concern in this situation but if Harry's coming over it does show that he's very concerned and obviously the bar for him coming over is much higher because he's estranged from the family uh, currently but um, good news that he's speaking to his father and is able to support him. Um, we, I, I've spoken also to Kensington Palace waiting to hear if uh, Prince William's going to be making a statement. Um, I'm sure he will be at some point uh, but there's also this uh, you know, will to tr- try to keep calm amongst uh, the United Kingdom and not um, worry people too much. So it's a a careful balancing act. Uh, But, you know, when you get a headline saying the king has got cancer, um, it's going to create a certain level of alarm. And the palace will deal with it in the way that they often do. I mean, we did have a lot of speculation around how Queen Elizabeth died, and that was a great frustration to them. But they did stick to that system where they didn't give the exact details of, exactly uh, what ultimately killed her and they, they, they still haven't told us since and I, d- I doubt whether they'll ever tell us because there's only a very small group of people that have access to that information. Uh, the King does have a very significant me- medical team. There's a, there's a medical team, an official medical, medical team at Buckingham Palace, but he also has, o- has his own private doctor that travels with him. Um, so you know, when I'm traveling with the King he w- the doctor will always, often be alongside me. So that could be an abundant precaution. Uh, but obviously there's always concern about someone in their 70s in such a pressurised role, um, and people will be wondering exactly what it is. So you can't really avoid the speculation, but we'll expect to see Prince Harry coming over. We'll wait to see if we can get an update from his office.
6: I wanna bring in a CNN royal commentator Emily Nash. Uh, Emily, with this news that Prince Harry has spoken with his father, uh, that he will be traveling to the United Kingdom, uh, I think this certainly serves as a reminder that at the end of the day, this is a family. They have had their trouble uh, recently. This was once a very tight-knit family that has been fraying of late. Uh, the issues uh, with Prince Andrew, who no, no longer performs royal duties, uh, Prince Harry and, and his wife Meghan choosing the, uh, to, to no longer undertake uh, royal duties either. But as is so often the case, when you have a serious medical diagnosis, in particular a cancer diagnosis, uh, that will bring families back together. So, t- to what extent do you think we will see the royal family behave, perhaps, in the coming days as a more, uh, you know, a more normal family, if you will, as they still try to balance uh, the fact that they are not a royal family, uh, not a normal family.
10: Yeah. Well, look. You know, this is a. Uh one of those moments that happens in life where people do forget about what's gone, um, you know, water under the bridge and want to be together and spend time together. And I think it's fantastic that there is going to be this this meeting and that members of the family are going to be rallying around the king. You know, it's a really difficult moment for him. He thought he was undergoing treatment uh, that was fairly straightforward and fairly routine. And he's now landed with this new diagnosis. And he's obviously wanted to tell his sons in person or personally over the phone. um, You know, I understand that the Prince of Wales is in very, very regular contact with his father as well. Um, And it does really humanize them. It's a reminder and sadly, most people um, watching this will know someone or will have been affected by cancer themselves. And it's just very much a reminder that they are human beings at at the end of the day.
7: I do wanna get back to Max Foster for a moment because Max, this this also comes at an interesting time for politics in the UK. You have this cost of living crisis, uh, questions about the future of of government. Uh, Obviously, elections have to be called before the end of the year. Some of them, uh, some folks calling for them uh, to come sooner. And the king has to actually invite the prime minister, according to British policy, to uh, make a new administration how could this potentially complicate that process?
5: Yeah, well, even before we have to appoint the prime minister to build that administration, um, we've been told very clearly that those key matters of state will continue uh, to be held by the king and he's able to carry them out. So very much reassurance on that level. Um, you're right, I mean, the system here is that the, the monarchy represents the nation, it represents continuity. You'll remember in times past, not that long ago, during Brexit and Boris Johnson's administration, there was a huge amount of chaos in British politics. And uh, the Queen very successfully uh, made more appearances and stepped up to represent that continuity. And it did reassure the British people that whilst one side of the constitution uh, was falling apart, the other side is standing firm. And that's what they represent. And so in a year of an election if it does get very chaotic, they will look to the monarchy. It's an instinctive thing that British people do. And um, King Charles won't be there in the public eye for the foreseeable future, as we understand it. Uh, But let's hope he gets better so we do see him. Until then, it will be Queen Camilla and the Prince of Wales very much representing uh, the monarchy. And we will see Prince William turning up to key constitutional events in his father's place. So it will feel different, the monarchy, and when you consider the Queen was on Queen Elizabeth was on the throne for so many years, and we were used to so much stability within the monarchy, it does, uh, you know, it does unnerve people when uh, different parts of the constitution start looking uh, shaky, as it were. But this is going to be the job of the palace and the king to really represent the continuity, and they've had lots of experience, centuries of experience of, of doing that. So they have their systems for doing that, but it. You know this
6: is the key job right now until we hear an update from the king they certainly do have their systems uh though the past is certainly clashing with the more modern era and something that the royal family recognizes with the level of transparency that we have seen from them certainly on the medical front in the last few weeks uh though we appear to be at least starting to see some of the limits uh of that transparency so they're They certainly have a lot to to, to figure out, and and there's certainly uh, major questions that remain. I'm gonna ask you all to stay with us. Uh, There's lots more to discuss on this breaking news of King Charles III's cancer diagnosis. We'll be right back after this quick break. We are back with our breaking news that King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer. A statement just out a short time ago from Buckingham Palace uh, saying that he has been diagnosed with a form of cancer. They did not specify what kind of cancer it is. Uh, there you can see him leaving the hospital just a few days ago on January 29th with his wife Queen Camilla. He had been in that London hospital uh, for treatment for what they called a benign prostate enlargement. And then according to Buckingham during the course uh, of the examinations while he was in the hospital uh, there was a separate issue of concern that was noted. Buckingham Palace today saying that they are revealing this cancer diagnosis to prevent speculation but at the same time not specifying what exactly King Charles III is dealing with right now. I want to bring in uh, Kristen Meinzer, who is a royal watcher. She's the host of the Daily Fail podcast. Kristen, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, What stands out to you in the way that Buckingham Palace is communicating this news today?
4: You know, one of the things that's most notable to me is the difference between this messaging and the messaging around Kate Middleton's recent procedure. As we know, she had a planned abdominal surgery uh, right around the same time King Charles was having treatment for his enlarged prostate. And the palace has made clear that it is not cancerous in Uh, the case of Kate Middleton, but they're also choosing to tell us nothing beyond that, saying that uh, she would like to maintain her privacy at this point. And I think it's really interesting that in terms of King Charles, there's been a lot more transparency, you know, speaking frankly about his prostate, speaking frankly about this cancer diagnosis. And uh, supposedly this is King Charles' attempt to demystify these things and to be transparent, as the new statement says. And even though it's not 100% transparency, we don't know what type of cancer we're dealing with here. Uh, I I think that it does, in some ways, reassure the public to know that uh, there's at least a name for it. There's something that they can point to and say, this is what's going on here. And in that way, it's very different. With Kate, there's still a lot of speculation in the press in the tabloids and the public and so on about what's really happening with Kate.
7: And, Kristen, quickly, uh, the king is now the latest member of the royal family to be dealing with cancer because just a few days ago it was announced that uh, Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of York, also known as, as Fergie, is now is now rare, uh, dealing with a, a rare kind of skin cancer, is that right?
4: Yes, and this is not Fergie's first uh, instance of dealing with cancer. And also uh, the queen in her later years was dealing with a bone cancer. So. Uh, They are still mortal. They are still human. And, you know, over a third of cancer cases happen in the UK in people who are over 75. King Charles is in that category of people. And so he's mortal. His family is mortal. He's of a certain age. These things happen, unfortunately, but he does have the absolute best care in the world far better care than most of us could ever dream of having and he is being well taken care of. He's got uh, medical professionals round the clock, keeping an eye on him and making sure that he's getting what he can get to uh, address the situation. <music>